0: Good morning. Get this up here where my old eyes can see it. Hi, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Wheezy. I'm one of the many pastors here at Summit Ridge. Um, And I have the pleasure of bringing God's Word to you this morning. And I was going to crack some of the usual jokes about spending time with family and how lovely and wonderful it is, and how we would give them our left kidney, and we will do anything for them, we lay down our lives for them, and you know, sometimes you just want to bang their little heads together, don't you? You know, when you think back to 2019, I think we could resonate with that, boy, this year has taught us to tread gently around each other, hasn't it? It's been rough. We've had to value each other more than we thought possible because of how hard it is to be together to even get together, to see the empty chair at the table sometimes. And yet, it's still true that sometimes the people you love the most get under your skin the worst. You know, they really know right where the buttons are, don't they? Sometimes, I, I'm, those of you who know me have heard this before, sometimes I really look at the human race as chimps with clothing on you know <laughs> i was i was watching a special the other day about chimpanzees and their social contract which is very similar to our social contract and it, it here's how it works it's reciprocity if i'm a chimp out in the woods and you groom me it feels nice you pick the ticks off and riffle through my hair and it's really nice and we have this bonding moment and stuff but i'm supposed to groom you back that's how we get a little friendship going. You know, and if, 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 I, if I don't uphold my end of the social contract and I don't groom you back ever, pretty soon I'm not in the loop of chimps that you like and take care of. That's a bad thing. You know, and it, it, it goes even better than that. If you bite me, I get to bite you back. <laughs> if you bite my kid, look out. I'm going to whack you with a stick, you know, and then your guy chimp is going to come over and object to that, and my guy chimp is going to get into it with him, and pretty soon there's rotten fruit flying through the air, and it's it's reciprocity. It's tit for tat. What goes around comes around with a little added on. That's the social contract of chimpanzees, and sometimes you look around the world and you think, yep, chimpanzees with clothes on. You know, and putting clothes on us and sending us to church doesn't really change things that much, does it? And we, you know, we we're better at it than the chimps are. We get into the emotional tit for tat too. You say something mean to me, I get to think up a witty comment, you know, and post it on something. Or you hurt my feelings, I get to hurt yours back. You know, we add layers and layers and layers of going around and coming around and putting some more on it and amping the, raising the ante. That's the way we work. And it's, it's sensible and it's easy and it's natural. I'm allies with the people who support me and like me and take care of me, and I'm against the people who don't. And it's okay to get them back if they hurt me first, It's even kind of fun, you know, to think up the winning remark. And if you hurt somebody I love, watch out. Because, you know, even God agrees that I should be able to hurt you back if you hurt somebody I love. What happens is we wind up trusting power and force and violence to right the wrongs. We wind up worshiping that archetypal warrior figure. The one who's going to come in and force it right. When we feel attacked, we retaliate. We're going to beat down the enemies. Think about our military. Now, I'm not bashing the troops, but I do want to think about why nations have militaries. It's not usually for self defense much. Especially when you have a humongous military. Or if that doesn't settle with you, think about our lawyer. Seven savage lawyers who will not leave a shred of meat on your bones when I get through with you. Because your dog won't shut up. You didn't give me my bonus. Or whatever it is. And worst of all, think about our words. We retaliate with words in a way that really will not leave a shred of meat on the bones. We can rip the soul out of another person with our words. And sometimes it seems like they deserve it. They ripped our soul. They truly did. And, you know, I mean, we're bleeding. We can show it. And this is an old, deeply rooted thing We don't have to learn. it. I mean, how old does a child have to be before they try hitting mommy when she makes them mad? Not very. Not very old at all. When we have power, we automatically abuse it. That's just what chimpanzees do. I can remember being, I don't know, how how tall is this, six? Something like that. I was a teeny little girl. I can remember, it's one of my earliest memories, realizing that my mom didn't like it when I cried. But she couldn't stop me. I could just keep crying and get her back. And the power that welled up in me when I realized that I could do that to her, it was it was a joyful thing to be able to abuse power. Not very old at all. How do I know without asking that you have scars from junior high school? You know, that's, that's about the age where kids discover that they've got power over each other, big time. I don't even have to ask. I know what happened to you. Cause it happened to me too. And Christians get into this. I mean, we really get into it. I, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who recently has been getting calls from Amazon. Somebody with a thick, let's say, Pakistani accent calls up and says, hi, I'm Sam. We have a calling from Amazon and you have a $3,000 charge on your Amazon. Is that you? And and you know what's going to happen down the road as they're trying to get your Amazon account number and your credit card number and yada, yada, yada. Normally, I just hang up. But lately, I've been watching James Veach's videos and he plays with these people and just ties them in knots and runs them up and down the road. and You know, and that's fun to watch. But then the Holy Spirit kind of got hold of me and said, you know, here's a better idea. How about next time... Sam calls from Amazon. You say, Sam, is this the life you wanted to live? Do you want to be doing this? How about if I pray for you? You know, and that feels real holy, and I'm sure the idea came from God, but there's a big chunk of me in it thinking, that'll get them back. (laughs) Oh, oh, they are going to hate that. Oh, man, sweet revenge. So I haven't actually done it yet. But I'm a Christian, okay? And Christian conflicts, if you look at church history, are horrifyingly bloody. We burn each other at the stake for having the wrong doctrine. We hunt down whole nations of people for baptizing adults or whatever it is. That just happens to be our personal story. But Christians do not hold back. We can let a little squabble in a church tear the whole church to pieces because we'd rather have revenge. We'd rather be right. So when we read about God's commands to love our enemies, it seems right and glorious and good and wonderful when it's theology. But when it's some particular person that God wants me to love, Suddenly, it seems stupid and unfair and dangerous. Because this is the co worker who's out to get me. They are out to get me. I can't turn my back on them. It's the politician who's out to destroy America. Obviously. It's that little jerk who keeps bullying my kid at school. I need to fix that kid. It's the person who's making snarky comments about me on Facebook, and I can't defend myself because it's all over the world now. Thanks so much. So, when I stand up here and say, Who do you hate? or Who hates you? sometimes you know right away. But because we're Christians, a lot of times we're thinking, Well, that's, you know, I don't hate anybody, there's people I don't like real well. But I don't hate people, and I'm a nice person, so I don't think anybody hates me. But they do. ISIS hates the heck out of you. They're kind of extreme. But what about just people I feel contempt for? You know, those people. It's not loving. Plenty of people have misunderstood me. Plenty of people just don't like old fat ladies. You know, plenty of people don't like people that drive Priuses. (laughs) Tough. Okay. You know, and plenty of people just avoid me. And there are people I avoid because I don't want to have to deal with them again. And then there you know there is Isis there is the people who take guns to school and shoot kids there is there's all of that it keeps going on So let's look at the scripture what God has to say about this and I've just pulled a few scriptures because God has a lot to say about this We're going to start with Exodus 23 verses 4 and 5 If you come across your enemies Ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. That's Old Testament, way back in the Moses days. And then there's Jesus at Luke 6 27 and 36. This is the one that really gets us in trouble. To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other one also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to people who ask you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't try to get it back. Don't demand it. Do to those as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even chimps do that. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even chimps do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect to get repayment, what credit is that to you? Even chimps lend to chimps, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And if that's not good enough, Paul chimes in in Romans, verse 12, 17 to 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sometimes I want to say, yeah, but but what about evil? What about the person bullying my kid? Don't I have to do something? Somebody needs to do something. And that's exactly what Paul and Jesus are talking about, is doing something about it. Their way. Jesus speaks truth to power and power in Jesus' day was King Herod, who thought nothing of murdering anybody, even his own family members, who got in his way or might eventually threaten his power. Remember, he murdered a whole village full of children just to try to snuff Jesus, just in case Jesus turned out to be trouble down the road. That's who Jesus is speaking truth to. You know, he's not speaking truth to a room full of Christians who wouldn't raise a hand against anybody. He's speaking the truth to murderers and power mongers and controlling people. And he did it right out in the open where everybody could hear him. But it's the truth they need to hear. If there's any hope for repentance, they've got to hear it. So he's speaking in love. And think about Nicodemus the instant any of those people who are dead set against him turn toward him and approach him, he welcomes them. That's loving. I think about Martin Luther King as a modern day example of how to confront evil and injustice in a loving way. Because if you think about it, Again, violence would be the natural option. But King chose to confront injustice in love, not with violence or retribution, but just peaceful opposition, speaking the truth over and over and over. And it makes me wonder when we have a choice about how to respond to an evil thing, how hard do we really try? And we really, really. Really tried to think of the other options besides just retaliating. Sometimes we don't put a whole lot of energy into it. So Jesus gives us a real practical nuts and bolts prescription. Here's how you do it. He says, First of all, you start with actions. Your feelings will follow, but right now, while you're still angry and still mm, uh, start with the actions, do good if you see something you can do for your enemy, do it. What would mean something to them? Listen to them as they're tearing you a new one. Listen. Ask more questions. Tell me more about what I did. How else did I hurt you? Engage with them. Smile at them. Help them if you can. Here's one that I really struggle with. Change your internal dialogue about them. Whenever they come up to your mind again, it's really a muscular effort sometimes to do the good of thinking about their virtues. What is it about them that is noble and honorable and courageous? And think about that instead of what they've done to me. Martin Luther King has one that I just included in this list because it really made me think. He said, if you have an opportunity to defeat them, because the opportunity will come when you could completely defeat your enemy, don't do it. Just don't. That would be a hard one for me to resist. Sometimes you have to set boundaries with a dangerous person. You have to love them from a little way back. You have to let them know some limits. But when I'm setting my boundaries with a dangerous person, part of doing good is to set a boundary with as much concern for what they need, what's good for them, as there is concern for me and what I need and what's good for me. It's a a real popular theme on all those Pinterest posters that you have. There's this recurring theme of if you have people in your life who are not good for you, scrape them off. Just go on without them. You deserve it. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about setting a boundary that excludes your enemy. It has to be a boundary that includes them in a way that keeps you from being destroyed, but that also takes care of them. So the second thing that we can do, aside from doing them good, is to bless them. To speak kindly to them. And to speak kindly about them. That can be hard to do. Sometimes it's not easy to think of what we can say about somebody who's done us damage that would help the person that you're speaking to know that you still want to think well of that enemy. You can bless your enemy with your confession. You know, Jesus has a lot to say about getting the log out of our eye and looking at our own sin and taking account for how we contributed to the mess. When I go to my enemy and confess my part in the problem, that's a blessing to them. They may not respond the way I hope, but they still get blessed. It's a taste of God that they get to have. I can bless my enemy with my praise. Whenever God shows me something good and admirable and worthwhile and alive in them, I can say to them, you know, I see this good trait in you. I really like the way you did da-da-da. I can bless them with my praise. And I can pray for them. i No, I've shared before one time when I was, oh, seven, okay. I was on the school bus and I got in trouble with the school bus driver and was told that I was going to have to go to the principal the next day and I went home and I was just all up in knots and my mom said, what's wrong? And I told her the story. She taught me how to pray for my enemy. She said, you don't pray for God to make the bus driver nice. You don't pray for your visit to the principal to go away. The way you pray for this bus driver is to ask God to give her the things that she wants, like maybe a good night's sleep or a bus full of kids that sit down and be quiet. Pray for the things she needs. Ask God to answer her prayers. Ask God to heal her sicknesses. Anything I would pray for myself, I can pray for my enemy. I came up with this little list here. Ask God to protect them, Ask God to heal them. Ask God to lift their fears from them. Ask God to provide for their needs. And ask God to answer their prayers. I can totally do that. I could do that for ISIS. If I try. The thing is, as long as I think of my enemy as my enemy, I really can't love them. I have to change my heart. I need to think of them the way God thinks of them. I need to think of them as a sinner trapped in sin. A person just like me, caught by the foot in a bear trap of sin. I need to ask God to put that picture of them in my heart. Then I can begin to love them. And always, always, always going back to how Jesus responded... While being tortured to death, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they knew they were killing an innocent man, but they didn't know what that meant. And when someone tears a chunk out of my heart, they know they're being mean. It's not that they don't know. They don't know what it means to be mean to another human being. They don't really see what happened. So, here's a 30-day challenge. If there's somebody on your mind who hates you or who you hate or who just is one of your eye-rolly people, spend 30 days doing good to them, whatever God shows you that you can do, blessing them however you can, and praying for them, how God leads you. And your heart will begin to change. You'll be able to love them better and more. Their behavior may not change. And that leads us to our next part of loving your enemies, and that is to endure suffering. This is how God does it. Sometimes loving our enemies costs us dearly. Some of us are old enough to remember back in the old days when one of the of the Holy Spirit, instead of being called patience, it was called long-suffering. Remember that? Yay, sign me up for that one, right? <laughs> I want to suffer a long time. But it basically just means having a long fuse. Keeping up doing good. When Jesus talks about turning the other cheek and not trying to get your coat back from somebody that takes it away from you and carrying the load an extra mile. Most of what he's talking about is being humiliated. Back in the day, slapping somebody in the face with your hand was an insult way beyond the woman at the tea party slapping the gent who was being fresh. I mean, this was... You just did not do this. This was, that means war stuff. And then you slap them on the other cheek. That means you've got to use your left hand. That's like slapping them in the face with a dirty diaper. It is not done. So Jesus isn't monkeying around here. He says they slap you in the face. They're trying to humiliate you. Don't be afraid. Let them really humiliate you. The cloak grab. It was illegal in Jesus' day for you to sue somebody and take their coat. You could take their donkey, but you can't take their coat because then they'd be naked and that would be shaming them. Not done. Bad. And Jesus says somebody tries to shame you in court, let them take your coat, let them take your shirt too. Don't be afraid of being naked. They can't humiliate you if you're already humble. Somebody tries to force you to do work unjustly and you say, okay, and what else can I do to help you? You can't humiliate me if I'm already humble. If I'm going to love you anyway, no matter what, I refuse to hate you. I'm just going to love you anyway. Jesus knows how to absorb suffering instead of inflicting it. There's a quote by a guy named Gail Webb that I I know I've shared with you before and I'm probably going to do it again in the future because this just really, for me, says it in a deep way. This is from a book of his called Night and Nothing. He says, The only ultimate way to conquer evil is to let it be smothered within a willing, loving human being. When it is absorbed there, like blood into a sponge or a spear into one's heart, it loses its power and goes no further. That's what Jesus is talking about with long-suffering. That's loving our enemies in a way that they just can't do anything about it. A Christian lawyer, Ken Sandy, that some of you are familiar with, uh, talks about a person in his town where he lives who is, is blind And she's got a seeing-eye dog. But she also has some mental health issues. And so she's not always as kind to her dog as you'd think a blind person would be. One day he was downtown, and he saw her trucking down the sidewalk with her dog, and at one point the dog stopped. And she's like, forward! And the dog starts off to the left. She yanks the dog back. Forward, I said! The dog goes this way, and she yanks the dog back. I said, forward! And she smacks the dog. And finally, somebody went up to her and said, there's a pit in front of you. Your dog is trying to take you around a pit. Oh, okay, you know, and she sorts it out with the dog, and they go on their way. But Ken Sandy's point was, if a dog can do it, we can do it. The dog didn't quit serving her. The dog didn't turn and bite. The dog didn't let her walk into the pit to show her. Just kept serving her a dog can do it, we can do it. But in order to do it, we've got to let go of our fear. Because what is retaliation about, after all? It's about our fear. It's about our need to protect ourselves. So I have to grow up and let God be the judge. Because if I'm engaged in loving, I actually have nothing at all to fear, even if I die. Easy for me to say, here I stand, but, you know, we're gonna. Why not be engaged in doing good stuff? So that takes us to why. Why does God want us to love our enemies? I mean, really, when you think about it, he's going to punish the wicked, so why do we have to love our enemies? Well, we look at Romans 5, verse 8. But, beloved, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were hurting God in the heart, Christ died for us. God loves his enemies and seeks to save them is the whole entire point of Jesus. The cross of Christ is the wisdom of God. It sounds crazy and stupid and dangerous to the unbelieving world. It's foolish and stupid because it's directly opposed to that social contract of tit for tat, what goes around comes around. You pick my ticks, I'll pick yours. You bite me, I'll bite you. It completely breaks that social contract. That's why the world thinks it's stupid but love your enemies because that's what God does, is the gospel. That's the gospel. That's part of why. Another part of why is because loving our enemies is part of our growth into Christlikeness. In order to be like Jesus, we have to see our enemies the way Jesus sees them. That means our hearts have to change. We have to see them as people to love. People to die for. And it brings us closer to God because we need his help to do it. This is not something we can do in cold blood. We have to do it in Jesus' blood. And also, I'm thinking about Old Testament stuff here. God may be using our enemies to help us grow in Jesus. Using our enemies to correct us. Sometimes we need a jerk to come up and say, you're acting like a jerk. Thank you. Check out the Old Testament. It happened more than once. One of my favorite reasons why God wants us to love my enemies is because it's the witness to the outside world. Crazy love is our witness that God is alive to show the world that he's really real. And the more abnormal and surprising and crazy love is, the more impact it has. And not only that, here's the really cool part. Loving my enemies is God's witness to me about his world. I remember my sister used to be able to ride horses really well. She was Hunter State champion at one point, you know, and they're jumping over fences. And it was just really cool. And I used to say, hey, I could do that. That's not so smart. I could do it. She said, fine, try it. Threw me up on the horse and, and I'm like, giddy up! And the horse is, what? I don't think so. In fact, how about that? <laughs> wasn't so easy. And in a way, this is our witness to ourselves because we get to appreciate how radical, how insane, how blood-drenched God's love for me is when I try it. I really get to appreciate, because, you yeah, know, I mean, grew up in the church. It's kind of like God loves you. Yeah, yeah, what else you got? You know, it gets real. As love becomes more difficult, it becomes more real. We actually get to appreciate it. And also, there's the possibility of redemption. I love my enemy because they need it. It's just that simple. They need it. I needed it, I got it. I can't do anything but pass it on. So, what if I don't love my enemy? What if I just kind of don't really feel like it yet? Well, there's no witness, then. There's no possibility of redemption, then. Plus, if I retaliate, if I do the chimp way, because it's normal and natural and fun, pretty quickly I'm going to become my enemy. I am totally going to be just like them. If I'm packing a gun because you're packing a gun, what's the difference between us, really? And if I let that root of bitterness go down into my life, it's going to grow. Pretty soon I'm going to be a tree bearing bitter fruit. Here's the scariest. If I refuse to love my enemy, at least to try to love my enemy. If I refuse to forgive, God can't really forgive me. And this is not God doing tit-for-tat. It's just a mechanical impossibility. If I refuse to love, I can't receive love. If I can't give at least a little forgiveness, I can't receive it. It just won't go in. There's nowhere for it to land. I cannot live as a child of the king of love if I refuse to love. Sad but true. If I choose to retaliate, I'm leaving the kingdom of God and closing the door behind me. But here's the biggest reason. I'm going to switch you from the scary train to the kind of fun train. The biggest reason for loving our enemies is because they're not our enemy. Right? We know who our enemy is. It's Satan. Look at Ephesians 6.12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers. They're not talking about governments here. They're talking about spiritual rulers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are to love human beings, all of them. The ones with n 16s the ones with machetes, the ones with nasty Facebook posts, all of them. And we are to resist the devil. Let me tell you, the big gun, the A-bomb for resisting the devil is loving your enemies. It really is, because that's the kind of love God has. Dan let me pick the topic that I was going to preach on for Dead Week between Christmas and New Year's. And it, it may seem a little bit of a rough segue to go from, you know, Christmas to love your enemies. But you know what? Jesus is here. Hope has arrived. Right? We can afford to be crazy. Lord, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for filling our hearts with your presence, with your power. No matter how small and nasty we may feel at any given time, Lord, we can participate in your love. Give us the strength, Lord, to carry on. Amen.